Welcome and let's first talk compliance. I'm Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager at First Healthcare Compliance. Thanks for tuning in. This show is brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high quality complimentary educational resources. We help create confidence among compliance professionals throughout the United States. Please show your support by taking a moment to provide a review on Google, Facebook, or iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Today, we are speaking with Melody Malik, President of Revenue Cycle Coding Strategies, a dynamic company that works with physician practices, healthcare systems, billing companies, and other industry stakeholders to provide auditing, education, and other collaborative consulting solutions to meet their coding and compliance needs, such as appropriate use criteria, what you need to know. First Healthcare Compliance is a proud partner with Revenue Cycle Coding Strategies, and our clients have enjoyed many webinars and previous podcasts by this team of experts. 2021 is also going to be an official CMS testing year for AUC-CDS implementation. This episode will identify specific areas of concern for your organization regarding AUC-CDS implementation, help you facilitate discussions with all stakeholders to ensure all perspectives are heard and addressed, and assist in designing actions that can be taken to facilitate a successful implementation to ensure revenue is not negatively impacted. Melody, it's such a pleasure to speak with you again on First Talk Compliance. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Catherine. It's always a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you. Before we begin, I would like to mention at First Healthcare Compliance, we strive to serve as a trusted resource for compliance professionals. And every month we celebrate their hard work and dedication with our Compliance Super Ninja recognition. Our team is turning the spotlight on Jean Fleischer, Practice Administrator for Scott A. Fleischer, MD, and Associates. Jean's favorite part of working is that she is very proud to be a part of this busy adult and geriatric psychiatry practice. The practice has stayed open through the entire COVID-19 pandemic and has continued to take care of patients compassionately and with great skill. With the support of their dedicated office staff, their clinicians make a real difference in the quality of life for many people. So congratulations, Jean. Our team is honored to have the privilege of working with you and your office. So the big news is that CMS has extended the testing period for an additional year. What do you think prompted CMS to take this action? You know, it's really interesting because there's probably a lot of different reasons that they did. It's not just one in particular. Uh, When they didn't put any information in the proposed rule for the Medicare physician fee schedule, which came out, you know, around the beginning of July, people started questioning what was going to happen because people, CMS had told us before that they were going to put information in the proposed rule. And when they didn't, uh, there was a lot of discussion in the industry of what does that mean? Are they really going to, are they just going to leave it as is? Are they going to make changes? 
and then they just posted something to their website. Well, COVID is one of the reasons. So being in a pandemic has created a lot of stress on the healthcare system throughout the country in a lot of different ways. And so I think a lot of organizations had voiced concern about implementing such a big regulatory thing in the midst of a pandemic when they're trying to make sure that they're putting the resources appropriately for patient care. So clearly the pandemic played a role um, with that. The other thing I think that, that contributed to it is there's been a lot of discussion regarding how CMS is going to take the data that's being given to them and, you know, with the modifiers, with the G codes, and actually use that in some actionable way. And so several organizations, um, including the American College of Radiology, have actually been advocating to CMS and to Congress that they need to rethink the program itself and how they're actually going to administer it. And so I think the, the culmination of the pandemic and a reevaluation of, of how they're actually going to get the data and use the data prompted them to say, you know what, let's take another year. Let's allow people that additional testing piece of it. They still officially say the implementation date was January 1 of 2020. Um, they give themselves that leeway by having now officially two testing years, um, and then the penalties don't go into effect to January 1, 2022 at this point. Um, but it really was a relief uh, for everyone for the extension, and, and people are taking the time to do some additional testing for it. Right. It seems like people overall are relieved by this delay. They're asking, it seems like they're asking, is there any chance that CMS will eliminate this regulation as an administrative burden? What do you think? You know, it's a really good question. And, and you know, we all kind of joke that our crystal balls broke a long time ago anytime we talk about these types of regulations with it. And so, you know, I, I wish I wish I could say with strong confidence one way or the other. I mean, there's always that potential that CMS uh, could eliminate it. But keep in mind, this is something that CMS did not create themselves. So this was passed into law by Congress back in 2014, and it was included in the Protecting the Access to Medicare Act, PAMA. And so CMS cannot arbitrarily say that they want to eliminate this regulation. It's not in their authority to do so. So it really would require an act of Congress um, to do that. Now, when Congress deals with healthcare regulations or addresses healthcare regulations, sometimes it gets included in the oddest places. While this was initially included in a very specific healthcare bill, there's other regulations that we've had that have been included in the Balanced Budget Act or included in other types of regulation. So, so Congress could put this or, you know, put the elimination of it into another um, piece of legislation that comes out um, with it. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that it could happen. And there are definitely some organizations, not only individual specialty societies, but also, um, you know, some, some bigger groups of broader groups, such as, you know, Medical Group Management Association, MGMA and others that have definitely advocated and pushed that this is an administrative burden um, to the ordering providers from their perspective and that they do want to see it eliminated. So I, it really is a wait and see, but I do think regardless of, of what's going to happen, the other piece you have to look at with it is if we go back to the basics of it, the reason that it was even initially created outside of the Medicare regulation, there is a strong clinical argument that there's a value to ensuring that exams that are ordered for patients for this advanced imaging is the most appropriate study. So if we, again, if we take away the CMS regulation and we focus just on the clinical implications of that, 
um, you know, a lot of organizations actually see the value of it um, independent of that. For example, you know, you, you will see it in some healthcare systems actually implemented on the inpatient side, and there's no requirement for it to be implemented on the inpatient side, but they're doing it for two reasons. One, they're doing it for clinical reasons because they want to make sure that patients are receiving appropriate imaging, but they're also doing it because we know with our inpatient Medicare, we're gonna get our flat rate DRG, and they're gonna to wanna to make sure that they're appropriately um, looking at their utilization. So even if it is eliminated as administrative burden, you may find that organizations are going to continue their implementation or keep it because they've already implemented it because of the clinical value of the program. Okay, so groups such as MGMA and, and others are lobbying for the elimination of it, but so far it's going to stay and people are continuing with that. Absolutely. Okay. With the announcement of the delay, how are you seeing imaging organizations and other facilities responding? You know, it really does vary a little bit. It's like everything, you know, the big thing like this, there's not one easy answer to say everybody's doing one thing or the other. But I think from a trend standpoint, I feel pretty comfortable saying that for healthcare systems and hospitals, uh, they're continuing forward. They may have slowed down their implementation, but they just they didn't walk away from it um, as a general rule. A lot of organizations have already actually implemented at least components of it. So if you look at you know, again, I'll start with hospitals and then I'll talk about imaging centers and physician side. But when you look at a hospital, they have to implement this in the acute care side, meaning the ED, as well as for observation patients. If they have employed providers, they're going to have to implement it for those outpatient services. And then they're going to have to address how are they going to handle the community providers. So a lot of organizations that have already been in the process of implementing it are going ahead and finishing it because they've got it in the budget. They've got the resources that are allocated to it. Let's go ahead and get it done um, related to that. And, and again, they're just in testing period and there's not going to be, you know, penalizing any of the physicians if they don't do it and, and those types of things. So a lot of them are just going to go ahead and complete that process with, with many of them pushing out community providers. I don't see any organization not doing studies because a community provider hasn't done the consultation. That, that would be a little premature, especially with the extension um, for that. So hospitals have taken that approach. Imaging centers have the, the benefit of being a little bit more nimble than a healthcare system, for example. And so a lot of the organizations that have imaging centers, whether they're radiologist owned, you know, or they're independent, with it, they're able to take a little bit more of, I'm going to wait a little bit longer, kind of back to that question of, is there a chance that this may not happen? And if it doesn't, frankly, they're not going to want to implement that process. So many of them are going to sit on this until probably next summer um, after the proposed rule comes out or other information comes out from CMS related to that. And they're going to be in a position to respond pretty quickly and implement whatever they need to implement with it. As far as the radiologists themselves, a lot of them uh, utilize billing companies. That's one of the things that in that particular specialty is very, very common. So, so most of the billing companies, especially the larger ones, have been working through testing already. And so there's a lot of discussion of how they're going to get the data um, you know, from the radiologists or, and, or specifically from the, the hospitals and things for the radiologists. And, and so again, it's just gonna allow them additional time for it. So the type of organization is driving how organizations are responding. Um, and it really is, and, and I think the other thing that kind of comes into play right now too, with the pandemic situation that we're in, 
what stress that organization is seeing because of that is also impacting how they're responding. If, if that's not a huge issue for them at the moment, again, they're able to move forward. If we, there are some healthcare systems that do have more of a stress because they're seeing a, a surge in patients or they're dealing with other issues, those are going to be ones as well that have said, we're going to kind of set this to the side for the moment. What are some of the key areas that you think organizations should focus additional time on during the implementation process? You know, I think the short answer for that is education, 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 right? Because anytime that we're asking, ordering providers to have to change their process, we want to give them, we want, one, want them to understand why. So there's that, that first education piece. But then also, one of the things that we want to try to do is make this as easy as possible for them. And, you know, that's sometimes things get missed when we look at it from a systems perspective. We could think of it as, well, we're going to embed this into our electronic medical record, or it's going to get embedded into the physician's electronic medical record, and it's just a few extra clicks. What's the big deal? Well, anytime we're asking our providers to take that additional time, it is a big deal. And we want to look to say, okay, are we making this the most efficient for ordering providers? Is there something that we can do to make it more efficient? So now that we have some additional time, having that opportunity to sit down with the providers, look at the systems, work with our vendors, that becomes important. Um, another thing with it is there is certain delegation that's allowed um, by CMS regulation where ordering providers can delegate it to clinical staff that they are responsible for. So they, they could delegate it to um, their nurse practitioner or their nursing staff or someone, again, who's clinical. They can't delegate it to a scheduler or, you know, things like that, but, but having that process. And so uh, some of the vendors haven't necessarily built the processes to allow for that. So that's an area where now that there's some additional time exploring where appropriate, if we could have some delegation implementing that process. Um, also, putting in those metrics and measurements um, related to that in, in terms of, you know, what are we going to measure and making sure everybody's on board with what that looks like, giving them feedback for it. I think another area is finding the pain points within the organization, for example, the emergency room. If I'm a hospital, we know that the ED is included, but there's some different ways that we can approach that. So do we want, to, and, I, and that's one of those areas where I've seen people approach it differently. I've seen some organizations actually require all ED physicians to do it for every single advanced imaging study, no matter what. I would, I would not say that's the majority of the time, but, but we do see that. Then we see some where they're actually suppressing acuity. And what we mean by that is they actually, when a patient comes in, they're assigned an acuity level. And for the higher acuity patients, let's say I have a stroke protocol patient coming in, those particular patients could be built where it bypasses the requirement to consult the AUC, and appropriately so, right, because that could, could be or is an emergent condition. And so it's built, and so tweaking that system to allow when that suppression occurs. So again, identifying those pain points, spending additional time on it, making the process more efficient for ordering providers and education would be the, the key areas that I would say we should use that additional time for. Okay, and what are some of the key metrics and measurements that organizations are putting in place around AUC implementation? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, anytime that we implement a new process or a new program, metrics and measurements are really important because implementing something and then saying, okay, is it implemented? Let's check it off. 
but let's if we're going to get the true value out of it, we do need to implement and measure it. So some organizations might have data before they implement AUC that talks about ordering practices, you know, how many of this particular exam was ordered, that type of thing. But where the value really comes is, is trending and looking at, okay, now that we've turned it on, let's look at for all of our providers, what are their scores? So if we go back and look at the core of what AUC is about, it's ensuring the right exam for that patient at that time based on their signs and symptoms. And within the mechanisms themselves, they're, they're at least for most of them, have the ability to pull out certain scores or certain measurements. So for example, if, if a physician is going in and it doesn't matter whether it's our, our community providers or employee providers, we should be able to, based on, on the information that we're getting, look to see, okay, of all the studies that they've ordered, how many of them received a green score, right? It was an optimal exam. How many of those were a yellow, where, well, it's okay, it's the all right exam, or a red, meaning not the right exam. And it's interesting because you might think out of the gate, well, everybody's going to get a green. They're going to always order the right exam. That's not true. When you look at the data, you're going to see, okay, look right here. This shows me that Dr. X, actually 90% of the time he's getting a green score, but 10% of the time he's getting a red score. And, I, and I'm able to see that data of, of his ordering practices. And then from the clinical staff standpoint, that becomes a discussion of, okay, is there something that needs to be done to educate that particular ordering provider with it? For example, when I look at observation patients, in, in many organizations, those exams are going to be ordered by hospitalists. Uh, working in conjunction with the specialist, right? So we want to measure our hospitalist to say, what do those ordering uh, practices look like for that? So we're going to look at the number of exams that get ordered. We're going to want to look at what their scores are, and we're going to start trending that to say, okay, here's what happened when we first implemented AUC, and then this is what it looked like a month down the road or a quarter down the road, or, you know, and, and we start seeing, is it making a change? If we're not using that data, there's not going to be any changes, but if we use that in an appropriate clinical way by clinical staff driving it, there's opportunity for education, there's opportunity for feedback, and it lets those providers know, okay, wait a minute, there's there's some opportunity here to potentially order some different exams. So metrics and measurements is going to be a combination of the financial side because, yes, we want to know if we've got denials and there's that piece, but but I would argue the bigger area is in the clinical side, and that really needs to be owned and driven by the clinical staff um, at the organization um, with that so that they can talk about how to appropriately address those ordering patterns. Melody, how should organizations handle the occasional provider who perhaps would refuse to comply with the ordering requirements? It's a really good question, and it is something that people are worried about because you know, there's there's this overall thought, well, gee, if I require this of the order of providers, they're going to get mad at me and I'm going to lose their business or they're going to go someplace else. And I think we have to recognize that this is a, a mandate that applies everywhere. And you're on the facility side, both the facility and the radiologist. So again, whether we're a freestanding center where that may all be, you know, billed on one combined bill or we, we're a hospital and we have uh, radiologists doing that. If we allow these services to go through, we perform these services and tell the physician it's okay, you don't have to do it, we've just done them for free. And there's services that get done for free now because of medical necessity and, and those kind of things, or lack of medical necessity, I should say. But 
how much do you really want to give away for free? And, and is that really a fair thing to do? And so I think it's that's why that education becomes so important. We understand that this is not a popular program with ordering providers. And I think you have to have that level of, of understanding and communication becomes really important. We can't just go to an ordering provider and say, well, this is the requirement. This is what you have to do or we're not going to do your study. No one likes to be talked to that way, right? So no one likes demand. So I think it's more of that that slow education of here's a regulatory requirement that's coming um, with that. We want to work with you to make this as efficient as possible and show that that we get it, we're in this together, and but we've got to find a way to work on this because they have to understand that, yes, we have to have this information, or and I think it's okay to say, or we're not going to get paid for it, but the organization really needs to make sure they've thought this through and they've communicated throughout the organization what the stance is going to be um, with that. And what I mean by that is all the way to the scheduler. When they're working through and reviewing information, the schedulers need a script that lets them know that if they're getting an order in, you know, a lot of times things are, are e-facts in over to healthcare organizations and things like that. And we call them paper orders because they really still are. But if they get one of those and they contact the ordering providers, um, organization and they say, you know, we got your, your order for this particular study, but I don't see the AC consultation information and they basically respond, we're not going to give it to you. The schedulers need a script to be able to say, you know, uh, effective this day, we apologize, but we're not going to be able to schedule the patient unless this information is there. And everybody, again, in the organization needs to understand that that potentially may happen. Um, there needs to also be an escalation process with that, that's not something that I would say should be on the scheduler's shoulders. Ultimately, that needs to be escalated because it could be that a conversation between a hospital administrative person or a radiologist and that ordering provider might be useful um, in the process. So communication, understanding who's not complying, any information regarding that to communicate it. And then ultimately a decision has to be made whether how we're gonna to continue to work with that ordering provider on a go forward basis. But then again, that would be something that the radiologists would be involved with, the hospital administration would be involved with, or if it's a freestanding imaging center, that the appropriate administrator of that center could be part of that decision. But it, it's gonna happen. Unfortunately, um, I'll, I'll be very happy for organizations that doesn't happen to, but it will happen. But again, escalation and education will be key. Right. I agree. So are there still any unknowns from CMS that you think need to be addressed? There are a few things, and, and it's one of those, you know, CMS has said that they're, they recognize there's still a few operational issues, and so there are some ongoing discussions related to it. Um, one in particular is we know that critical access hospitals are exempt from this. Um, we also know that in Maryland, you know, Maryland has a different payment process. They are exempt from the APCs and things like that, and CMS has recently come out and clarified that the Maryland hospitals um, are also going to be exempt for this. Well, if I have a radiologist who's interpreting studies at an exempt um, setting, such as my critical access hospitals or even Maryland, a Maryland hospital, for example, there's no way for that radiologist to communicate on the claim that that service was exempt. We have all these other modifiers that identify other exemptions that are out there, but we don't have one. And, and I don't think it needs to be one specifically for necessarily critical access hospital, but they need to either give us a modifier that communicates that it was 
the service was performed at a location not required uh, to consult a, or not required to participate in the AUC program um, with it, or they need to do something related to place of service um, with it. I think the modifier is probably going to be the easiest way that they could address it, so that's something they need to address. There's some other tweaky things as well, such as sometimes our radiologists will do second reads of an advanced imaging study. Um, a lot of times, especially with specialists and things like that, there's no, that hasn't been communicated. How do we deal with that? We wouldn't anticipate that there would be a consultation associated with that second read. And Medicare gives us guidelines on how to appropriately bill for that second read. But that would be another example of a situation where if they just build that second read, without a modifier, they would get a denial. And so, again, some of those those tweaky pieces, but that place of service issue is probably the biggest one um, that we still need to hear some clarification from Medicare on. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance, brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high quality educational resources. We help create confidence among compliance professionals throughout the United States. My guest today is Melody Malike, President of Revenue Cycle Coding Strategies about appropriate use criteria, what you need to know. Please show your support by taking a few minutes to provide a review of First Healthcare Compliance on Google or Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Melody, how do you recommend approaching community providers versus employed providers in terms of education? You know, it really is a different educational approach because with employed providers, you generally have interfaces that are built in um, to go between their systems and the hospital systems and, and things like that. So it's a little bit smoother process for them. I think with community providers, it's, it's as important to listen to them as it is to tell them. So understanding what electronic medical records they're using, understanding is there the potential to put some interfaces in place or is there a potential to make their process easier for them? Uh, I think sometimes when we are communicating with community providers, there's a tendency to tell them what we're going to do with the healthcare system, for example. And again, I think taking that step back to say, how can I make this more collaborative, maybe more than I've done with other initiatives? would be really, really important because this is a real um, area. It could be an area of opportunity or it could be an area of risk for certain organizations. So even if you're an imaging center, um, that becomes an issue. You want to use this as a chance to, to solidify or make stronger your relationship with your community provider and not make it such that you're building hoops for them to jump through and creating frustration for them. So definitely taking a, a listening approach um, understanding more of their concerns and trying to work collaboratively with them, meeting face to face. Uh, sometimes it's marketing departments or it's other organ, you know, groups within the organization that can help with that. But definitely have a plan um, with it. And I would prioritize the plan. You know, there's a couple different ways you could go about it. You could you could start with your easiest community providers, and you know who those are, um, with it. And you could start with them and start with the easy, or you could take the flip approach and you could say, okay, I know these particular groups are going to be my hardest ones, so I'm going to spend more time and take longer with them to get us where we need to be. So there's not a right or wrong answer to that, but being deliberate, being uh, having a plan for it, and just recognizing that it's, it's going to take some time and effort is really important in your approach. Well, Melody, I wanted to thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks, Catherine. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always a pleasure to speak to this group. I mean, it, when we talk about compliance, it's such an important piece of what everybody does, not only from the compliance standpoint, but from the operations standpoint. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. Yes, thank you. And did you have any other thoughts or any other bits of advice that you had that we didn't go over that you wanted to mention? Yeah, the only thing I would say is, you know, again, there's a lot of regulations that we have to deal with. And everything's about how we approach it, right? Anything in life. And AUC is no example. We can focus on things and it can be negative and it can be drudgery. And, you know, this is this everybody's against the program, we don't want to implement it, or we can accept the fact that this is something we need to implement and we could make it as positive as possible. And I think anytime that we approach anything with a positive attitude and make it as, as seamless as we can for our providers with the goal that the, we don't want our patients impacted related to this. The patient should have no idea about this program, quite frankly, with AUC, because we want to make sure we're providing seamless care to patients they're already stressed enough. They're going to have to get advanced imaging. We don't want to put them in the middle of this. So anything that we can do, and if we keep our focus on the patient, that really does change our frame of reference of how we go about implementing a program. That's so true. So thank you. Thank you so much again, Melody. And I wanted to thank our audience for tuning in to First Talk Compliance. You can learn more about our show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at FirstHCC or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. You can also email me at Catherine Short at FirstHCC.com. I'm Catherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance. Remember, compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind.